Welcome to Keeping Score. I'm Rick Haro. Each week we bring you insights from the playmakers, dealmakers, and rule makers in the world of sports. I'll give you my take on some of the items of the week using my 30 years of experience doing deals for teams, leagues, and players in the $750 billion business of sports. Plus, we'll talk with a central figure in the sports world. The views expressed in this podcast are my own and do not represent the views of Reuters. Let's get started. Rick Harrell, busy week again. It's after the LP, the PGA Championship, an incredible win, Tiger back in the hunt. This is not a story about golf. It's a story about economic development. It's Speedway and golf. The Brickyard Crossing is the golf course with the Indy Women in Tech Championship, which is their second annual. It's pretty unique, not only because it's the best women golfers on the planet, but also four of the holes of the golf course are inside of a 250,000-seat racetrack, which is unbelievable in and of itself. And Dan Calaruso, our global executive editor of Reuters, who knows very little about either racing or golf. Dan, how are you? I think it's an interesting, um, it's an interesting model. You know, you're you're going to talk um, with Ryan Vaughn um, about the ideas that, that have fed Indianapolis's development from troubled second-tier American city in the 70s or 80s um, to a, a legitimate sports capital and the foundation you know, that underpins its ability to pull off this kind of tournament and then expand it to, you know, different areas that, that involve philanthropy, involve, you know, uh, gender, uh, gender sports rising, any of, any of those other issues. And I think that's a really, uh, it's interesting how they develop from one thing and have really watched it evolve and, and helped it evolve to, to something far more broad and, and diverse. We'll talk about that and other context historically. Over 30 years ago, leaders in Indianapolis decided to use sports as economic development. The amateur sports capital of the world brought the Pan Am Games in 87, led to Pacers, they're already here, but expanded to another level. Then the Colts from Baltimore, people in Baltimore don't like it, but the bottom line was good. Then, obviously, the Super Bowl. And now, a reset button. Dan Towers, Group 1001, brings this golf tournament in. His role of family of brands and his company are empowering communities, industries, and consumers, but you take a look at all of the aspects of what he does in Indianapolis. We'll deal with that a little while, STEM training as well. But the Indy Sports Corp, key to all of this, Ryan Vaughn was the president since its founding in 79. He served as chief of staff for Greg Ballard, the mayor of Indianapolis. He focused on information sharing through sports. It's a city council, county council entity that's coordinating the development of sports as economic development. Here is Ryan Vaughn now. I'm speaking a little louder today because the great race, $500 million of economic impact, 300,000 people, it's the tune-up. It's called Carb Day. We'll talk about what that means, but it's the Friday before the Sunday race. And you can hear me, but you go out there, it's very hard to hear anything. And one of the people who is a backbone, maybe not a backbone, maybe a tibia of the race is Ryan Vaughn. How's that? The head of the Indianapolis, Indiana Sports Corp. How you doing, Ryan? Never been called a tibia before. I like that. That's great. It's capital T, by the way. There's I'm doing well. respect yeah. involved in tibia. It's May and Indy. Who's not doing yeah, well? Yeah, right? well, who's not doing well? So, you know, Mark Miles, who we've talked about before, talked about carpet bombing and total immersion of the Indy 500. Talk anecdotally a little bit about what happens in May around here. 
It's an all-in um, moment for us. You know, it, there's actually a Grand Prix race that it kicks it off the month of May for us, and then we've got a mini marathon, one of the nation's largest half marathon races that takes place, and then sort of obviously culminates with yeah. this week. And and uh, today is Carb Day. It used to be on Thursdays. Now it's on Friday, and then of course the greatest spectacle in racing on Saturday, yeah. or excuse me, on Sunday. Sunday. Yeah, don't get the date wrong. Uh, and it goes it, yeah, it goes all the way, you know, through our neighborhoods. It goes through our uh, community. We've got flagpoles on everybody's mailboxes. Um, there's a guy in Speedway here that I, I saw Moda's yard and painted it checkered flag with white and black. So yeah. it's, a, it's a great moment for us. That's easy to understand. And you have more people at the Speedway than almost any other city in Indiana. Is that on, on that day, on Sunday? Yeah, absolutely. You know, the uh, city of Indianapolis only has a population of about a million. Yeah. And so you have 300,000 people show up. We're, Speedway Indiana uh, becomes the second largest city in the in uh, the state of Indiana. Well, and the most important issue that I've heard, and I think it was a it was either a stat that you validated or published that six thousand shrimp cocktail are sold at St. Elbows this weekend. Is that correct? That's a lot of people with uh, runny noses and watery eyes. And, yeah, I'll uh, tell you what. And <laughs> and what they've done is, by the way, just so you know, St. Elmo's, they give you a glass of water, then they give you a shrimp cocktail, then they upcharge for the second glass of water. That's right. right. Yeah. Rumor. Yeah. yeah, rumor. And rumor. they never warn you, right? No, so if, you're rookie, never if, you're no rookie, if you're a rookie. Yeah. That's a clear way to see somebody first time in Indy. They're holding their nose for like a couple right, of days. Right. It's a deal. Economic impact and the difference with Indiana Sports Corp. Been involved in a lot of these organizations directly and indirectly. A lot of them talk. A lot of them are bonding organizations that build facilities, but that's all they are. You guys are classic entrepreneurs. Talk a little bit about your organization. Yeah, so Indiana Sports Corp was the first sports commission in the country. It was founded in 1979, um, and it was really uh, a solution to an economic problem that the city of Indianapolis had at the time. Uh, like most major cities across the country around that time, Massive suburban flight, sort of vacated of your core infrastructure in your downtown. And the city leaders came together and they said, hey, we're going to build a strategy around sports uh, to keep our downtown vibrant and growing. Um, and we're going to invest in facilities and we're going to attract major events. And we're going to attract organizations to call Indy home that are related to sports. And uh, it's been a tremendous success story. Uh, the economic impact continues to grow annually. Uh, the number of events we're able to attract um, really continue to grow. So it's just a, it's been a fantastic uh, part uh, of of our story in Indianapolis, and it's, it's really how we're known. And so it's not just a aspirational list. started with Lilly and Pan Am Games and Colts and 2012 Super Bowl and numerous Final Fours, and I know I'm missing a lot of other stuff, sure. but what makes this special? Why are you so successful when a lot of people just talk about it? You know, um, from a practical standpoint, the city was quite literally built to host major sporting events. Uh, we're one of the first cities in the country to make sure that our premier sports venues were downtown. Yeah. Um, uh, our hotels are connected to one another and connected to our venues. Um, our entertainment space is all walkable. You can, you know, drive in from the airport, which is 20 minutes away, um, or take a cab and never need to take a cab the rest of the weekend you're here. So we're very deliberate about the way we build our physical infrastructure. Uh, but the real magic comes in the collaboration between you know the the, the public entities um, in the city and the state, uh, the private um, and the professional sports organizations, and then the community, which really comes together and helps support these events from a volunteer standpoint. Um, it's just it's just a great. What's in the culture that causes the public sector to be so supportive of the legacy of the prior administrations so when you deal with public-private partnerships you don't have to resell everything out of whole cloth. 
Yeah, I think a lot of cities struggle with this sort of investing in um, what they perceive to be billionaires uh, around professional sports. But uh, what makes it impactful here is that we, we use every major sporting moment to have a positive impact on our community. So whether it's um, getting uh, kids engaged um, in clinics or training them for job opportunities or re rehabilitating neighborhoods or collecting tissue for breast cancer research, it goes on and on and on. Um, and I say this, um, and I mean it, but really sports is the means to the end for us. Uh, our focus is on community impact. And so when you're able to deliver that at a high level, it takes a lot of the pressure off uh, the public entities because they can say, look, these past investments have yielded these community results. And it's really not about uh, supporting professional sports, it's about building a community. And it's also from your perspective about business. Business show, everybody always talks about, well, sports is economically viable, and but there's a business calculation, there's ROI. What are your metrics that measure a successful sporting event from the business perspective? Yeah, so we measure economic vitality. So um, kind of heads and beds, are we filling up our hotel rooms, are our restaurants full, um, what do the ticket revenues look like? Those are sort of traditional measurements. Uh, but the real story is sort of what's underneath the surface. You know, we, we talk about the sports economy as an iceberg. You really only see the top 10%, yeah. the bottom 90 is under the water. And those are the businesses that exist in town which have grown nationally and globally because of the of the partners they've made as those major sporting events have come through town. How do you quantify those? Uh, we work with them. Yeah, we work with yeah. them in the chamber to say, you know, how have you grown over the last 20 or 30 years? Um, you know, we have a company called MyTRS, which is a, a technology a registration system for volunteers, started um, uh, around one event, World Swimming. Uh, um, Florian May, who's the president of that now, has 1,200 clients globally um, that she provides her services to. So it's just one of literally 100 stories around sports. But there has to be a culture to accept that argument. Mayors that I've talked to around the country say the hardest thing to prove but the easiest thing to understand is the quality of life issue and how sports rounds out a community and makes it whole. Uh, it's easier to sell that in Indianapolis, though, isn't it? It is. You know, it helps that we have a 40-year history in doing so, um, certainly. Uh, and, and we're sort of at this very unique and special point in our uh, history around sports where the, the folks that started that initiative 40 years ago are still here telling the stories to folks like myself who are, you know, standing on the shoulders of giants invested with carrying that, that um, tradition forward. And, and having that continuity, having mayors who across political yeah. parties and across terms remain committed to that strategy just helps reinforce it. Five years from now, we know you have all-star game and we know you have certain things, but five sure. years from now, generally, culturally, as well as major events, where is Indianapolis? Yeah, I think we're at the top. You know, we've got a, a pipeline unlike anyone else. Um, all-star game, men's final four, college football championship, Big Ten championships in football and basketball, uh, Olympic diving trials. Um, our, our resume continues to grow. And uh, as I mentioned earlier, each of those moments is an opportunity for impact beyond just the game itself but in fostering new growth in community businesses and having an impact on our youth and supporting the investment and development, not only of facilities, but also the amenities which make a city great, new restaurants, new hotels. Yeah. So it's uh, all positive momentum for us. Lawyer, lobbyist, elected official, now sports businessman, which one was the most fun, is the most fun? Oh, this is by far the most fun. Yeah. <laughs> by far the most fun. <laughs> yeah, uh, hands down. Uh, you know, the other, the other jobs were great, and uh, they had nice elements of public service to them. But uh, as I tell folks, when I was in the government side, most of my job was to uh, you know, address things that were going wrong. Here it's about talking about things that are going really well in our community, so it's great. So. And it'll continue to be great. Ryan Vaughn, thank you very, very much. Thank really you, Really appreciate it. Appreciate it.
So Ryan Vaughn has some interesting perspective about this. Uh, you know, the Indy Sports Corp was one of the first. Eli Lilly kind of conceptualized it, and then they developed amateur sports as an economic development tool. Dan, what did you take away from the interview? Well, look, I, I think the interview, I think um, Ryan makes a good case for why this worked and why it needed to be done, quite frankly, in, Indiap- in Indianapolis. Um, and uh, that town has matured into a, a big-time sports town. I think they had a Final Four, too, didn't they, one year? Final um, Four, um, uh, other major events. And by the way, remember, they're tied into the NCAA, so they have right. Final Fours, men's and women's, uh, on a regular uh, period over 10, 15 years, and yeah, they can plan uh, on but, it. Uh, right, but I, I think the bigger issue is that we're moving into a situation where this has been – you know, this is seen as a model, and I'm not sure how scalable, as the business guys say, it is anymore because there's a, a, a finite pot of money. Not every city can succeed on the broad level it needs to for it to be real economic development. Um, there was, there's been some interesting coverage in the past few weeks even about, you know, uh, municipal subsidies going into the sports business. Uh, the New York Times did a piece about New York, about the Midtown Manhattan area, the New York area. And within 60 miles of Midtown Manhattan, um, there are 300,000 seats, and it costs taxpayers 2.75 billion. The total spend was 7.5 billion. Um, so taxpayers are paying, you know, $8,200 per seat to New York sports franchises, which last I heard we were not having winter coat drives for. Um, so the the idea of of sports as economic development, I think India's pulled it off. Really, really well. I think you can. You've we've spoken in the past about Oklahoma, Oklahoma City doing it very well. Miami, you were at the foundation of Miami building, but they already had the Dolphins, and it was already a bigger city. But it's the same difference. I don't know in these times of shrinking federal budgets how much money there's going to be to to build these things in the right way as local local governments, local taxpayers are under a little more pressure to pay for their basic things. Uh, And sports does go back to becoming a luxury or maybe a spend that's a little messier and a little more desperate than you might have in in, uh, in the past. The the, the messiness and the desperation has to do with the legacy that you leave. You know, the Colts have been very important to Indianapolis and begat a Super Bowl, basically. The Pacers have gone through a couple of naming deals on their arena, but still a bedrock in the city of Indianapolis. And this event that we're talking about, that we're at today, the combination of the golf at the racetrack, is not important as a golf tournament as much as it's important as a vehicle for expanding STEM days, helping to create programs that enable full-time athletes to gain network, confidence, support, and skills, programs in schools. They've got this Eureka Exchange, which is an incredible event to empower 1,001 women, Group 1001, to kind of succeed in life. If you don't have that kind of thing, you can build a facility and it sits empty, meaning it has tenants, but it has no soul. Right. And it doesn't, right. You need that. Sports needs to captivate, right? <laughs> That's yeah, the magic exactly of sports. Right. And, and, and if you don't captivate, you end up being, you know, uh, the, the Seattle Supersonics, uh, uh, you know, and, and you end up you end up leaving behind th- that that wreckage. But you know, it, it's an interesting it's an interesting question on because it has to be, you know, uh, when we we talk about infrastructure, we talk about arenas, we talk about the success of franchise, we talk about media, both traditional and and new media, um, all feeding in, all being part of the variables that make a 
a sports town and a group of franchises successful. Uh, you know, you wonder where the bandwidth is uh, to, to execute this in as many places as are probably looking for the, looking for the money. So you, you talk about, Rick, we've talked a lot on the show about uh, all those variables feeding into something. And I think, you know, you look at guys like Ryan Vaughn, and we've interviewed a bunch of them on this show in the, in the past year. You have. Um, and it is, there is a class of executives now who have this as a skill. Is there the capacity economically for towns, for cities, uh, second-tier cities, cities that might have lost big employers, um, to come back and, and use this? model and template, you know, to work. And I'm not, I'm just not sure that it works everywhere because of scale, capacity, expertise, and purely population and the ability to draw people in. There's almost, it seems like every resource in the sports business is actually finite, except for financial companies willing to put their names on things. Uh, Really good point. Uh, You know, when you talk about financial companies willing to put names on things, uh, Group 1001 has been in existence for a year, and they could do anything. And they have a very well-thought-out philanthropic plan, which deals with this golf tournament and maybe other things. But the bottom line is it depends also on the market. Indianapolis, Oklahoma City, we've talked about that before. It's obvious that public money is very important. New York, California, maybe it is diluted by some of the other stuff that you were talking about and that the public money is harder to come by and less effective. It also requires some vision, both politically and business leaders. Politically, this town, Greg Ballard, was an unbelievable mayor, and he followed in the footsteps of Hudnut and Goldsmith. And Dan Towers, the guy from Group 1001, is as good as they get. So the bandwidth directly depends on who's able to expand it and explore it. Look for Indianapolis to be key in the future, Oklahoma City, and some of these other cities as we move forward in the next part of the new millennium. Ricardo, see you soon. Thanks for listening to this edition of Keeping Score. Our producer, Alex Cohen. Associate producer, Freddie Joyner. Assistance provided by Carlos Swadek, Tanner Simpkins, Jesse Leeds, and Jamie Swimmer. And the executive editor of Reuters Digital, Dan Calaruso. I'm Ricardo. Thanks again for listening. See you next time on Keeping Score.